Hi guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. This is our spoiler section, Scooby Secrets, for phases. So if you've been kind of dozing off in this episode and <laughs> found yourself in this section and don't want to know spoilers, this is your chance to log off. Um, just, you know, we all could be doing dishes or cooking and stuff and not notice. So if you do not want to know spoilers, I would hop off now. <laughs> um, but if you're here and you want to hear about the spoilers for this episode, then welcome um we are super excited there's not too much to talk about in this one um but i have a few few things that i'm excited for with certain characters yeah it's our first oz centric episode so i'm excited to kind of talk a little bit about him and his journey and um Mm -hmm. as i like to call it the great character assassination of daniel osborne that happens (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's hard it's hard because, like, obviously we all have our opinions and stuff, but honest to God, like, I think Oz is one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. ever portrayed on TV in mm-hmm. general. Like, he just – and he's so overlooked. And I know it's hard because, like, Willow becomes such a different person by the end of the series that it's like Oz doesn't fit into her life anymore by the end. Obviously, he leaves. But, like, ugh, he just, like – is such a presence on the show and i hate that he's so overlooked like i really really love oz and i really just feel like he doesn't get enough credit i was thinking um as i was like writing my notes and stuff i was like how in the world did we get we had amazing oz we had super sweet tara and then we end up with kennedy by the end (laughs) Oh, I did not think gosh. we were going to talk about Kennedy today. I don't not have the mental capacity <laughs> to talk about her. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I understand why Kennedy was needed, um, but not in the way that she was used. I think Kennedy was needed to show that Willow wasn't just going to go back to guys after Tara. Well, that's 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 what I mean. Yeah. Like, I she was needed to show something in Willow, but. She really, like, they could have just had made them, like, hookup buddies. Like, they really didn't need to be in a relationship. Yeah. They really didn't. Anyway, okay, we don't have to talk about Kennedy. Um, Let's talk about Oz. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I have, like, a little bit of a different, um, not unpopular, just a very different view of Oz at the end. I don't think that, um, is it Wild Things? Oh, like Wild at is? Heart. Yeah. Wild of Heart, sorry. I'm thinking of where the wild things are. I'm getting those. That's okay. Up. Very yes, different. Yes, very episodes. different. Um, but Wild at Heart, I don't think that was character assassination as much as coming back. The next one was. Yes. Yes. So yes. No, I a agree. lot of a lot of people crap on Wild at Heart and they think that that's out of character. Do I think that he would have done that? No, but I think that's the point. I think that my personal opinion, my headcanon is that his werewolf side was the only side that was attracted to Veruca. Yeah. He would have never done anything with with Veruca if it weren't for his werewolf side. I agree. So I think him um, doing stuff with her, I can easily dismiss it. And if he had stuck around, they would have been fine. I think that it would have been okay. Um, I don't think that that, was his fault. Oh, yeah. And I know that's unpopular. No, I don't think that's unpopular. I think most people see that as not his fault in the sense that like, or at least a lot of people see that as uncharacteristic. Like it was just all of a sudden out of nowhere, this whole storyline happened. I agree with that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, continue what you're saying. I think it was thrown on. I think it was thrown up on us. And I think that as much as I don't think that's his fault, I'm 
upset that the writers did that, if that makes sense. The thing that pisses me off about Willow and Oz's relationship is the writers wrote in not one, but two cheating Mm -hmm. Mm storylines. And both of them were supposed to be like, (gasps) like, not like a subtle, like it was supposed to be like an earth shattering thing, which I mean, it was both times. But with Willow's, it makes sense because Willow had liked Xander for years, like, she kind of had leftover feelings going into her relationship with Oz. And so it made sense that, you know, once those feelings were reciprocated, that Willa would kind of, you know. Call into question her relationship in, with Oz into, too. Yeah. Right. And I like that they did that because inevitably, yes, yeah, she messes up, but she chooses Oz over Xander. Um, and so it made their relationship stronger, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but the one with Oz just, it's frustrating because one, they already try to do a cheating storyline in the relationship. So it just kind of feels redundant, monotonous. Yeah. Yeah. But two, like it just, there's so many ways that you can write out a character. And so it's like, it, like I would have, it would have made sense if like Oz, you know, was just um, starting to lose control of his his werewolf side. You know, like, he was... Like, if they'd made a whole storyline where um, when Oz was a werewolf, he, like, almost killed someone or, like, killed someone and then he left because he, like, wanted to get that under control, that would have been really cool, you know? And I honestly think that would have been just as heartbreaking. Or he actually killed someone. Yeah, because you still would see that, Mm -hmm. that heartbreak between him and Willow... And then you don't have that stupid episode where he comes back and, like, Willow chooses Tara over him when she barely knows Tara at this point. Like, ugh, it's just, like, I don't know. I It's so hard because, like, I, I do love Willow and Tara and I do love Oz and Willow. I just feel like, specifically season three of Willow or for mm-hmm. season four. Season four of Willow and Oz just completely got bulldozed over mm-hmm. um for like for I mean many reasons because the actor had to leave and there was a lot of changes going on in season four, but it's just so sad. Like I really just I feel like the character Oz deserved a lot better. And I always kind of mourn his character at the end of season three. Their relationship feels weird. And the whole, I don't know, I just like, at season four, for the three or four episodes we have them, does not seem like Willow and Oz to me. Mm-hmm. I would disagree a little bit, only because you have um, Fear Itself, which is a really good episode that kind of delves into uh, a little bit of Oz's fear of becoming a werewolf and hurting Willow. Um, and so you kind of see a little bit of that in there. It's just hard because... There isn't a lot of build up to Oz leaving. It's literally like a couple of glimpses for like one or two episodes before of like him like smelling Veruca and then that's it. But then there's that one episode where it's just like full blown. And it's hard too because like obviously Oz is fighting against his werewolf animal side. So it's not like it's necessarily Oz himself that's cheating, but it's treated as if it is Oz cheating. And part of that is because I think Mm -hmm. Oz would have taken it very seriously um, simply because he loves Willow so much. But it's hard because there's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff that was happening. You know, um, when 
uh, Seth Green initially talked to Joss Whedon about the role of Oz and stuff, they kind of had a story in mind of where they were going to go. And then over time, like the Faith storyline kind of took a little bit more precedence because, I mean, she originally wasn't supposed to be as big of a character as she was. And so, and then um, you had uh, the whole angel leaving storyline. So season four was supposed to be kind of the love triangle. And Seth Green wasn't as happy about the fact that his character wasn't getting to do as much, which is totally understandable. If you're going to be spending so much of your day on set, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing anything, that's a waste of your time. And at this point, Seth Green was becoming a huge movie actor um, and was getting a lot of roles. And so his time, he was having to say no to some other things to do Buffy when his character wasn't really progressing or growing. And I kind of agree. His character didn't do much during the three seasons that he was in, which is a shame because I think it could have been really good. I forget that he's in three seasons because he's so underused and it makes me so sad because like Leah, he's one of my favorite characters and the entirety of the show. And so, I mean, this is probably, this is one of the reasons why I just kept on a loop watching seasons one through three, because I think those are the prime parts of the show in terms of like, not lighthearted because there's a lot of heavy stuff, but it feels like, oh, like early Buffy, you know? And then there's like Angel, there's Oz, there's Cordy. Um, and just the feel of the show is very different. The later like seasons are really, really great too. I've learned to really appreciate them. Um, but it's like, I just forget that he's in so long just because even though he's, sorry, even though he's well-loved in the fandom, He's very much put on the back burner and he's the least used out of the whole cast. Yeah. And it's hard too because, again, now things coming to light with Joss Whedon and stuff. Like a lot of the quotes and stuff, I'll have to find them. I don't have them prepared today. But a lot of the quotes that I've read from Joss talking about Seth Green's departure and Seth Green talking about his departure, it sounds like Joss wasn't super happy that Seth was leaving because they had a contract. And so Seth was kind of like, hey, I'm breaking contract because like I have other things that I need to be doing. Like this is and Seth mm-hmm. even Seth even told him, like, hey, I'd be willing, like, just take me off of um uh what's it called when they're full casting. Take me off the cast list. Like have me be a reoccurring character, go back to a reoccurring role that I can pop in for episodes versus having to be like here for a certain amount of hours because my name is on the t- the opening credits, but I'm not actually being used. Which they should have done. Anyways, because, like, he was barely used in season four. Like, he really wasn't there anyways. What would they have done with his character, though, is is my thing. I understand, not Oz, Seth saying that, but it's also, like, what would they have done with his character if he was not even in the title credits with Willow and him not even date? So... I understand why they wouldn't have that happen, but the way Joss went about it, I don't appreciate. Well, and I mean, the thing is, too, is that inevitably it's a show and so you know it's most likely even if seth green didn't want to like leave if he wanted to stay that eventually him and willow would have broken up like i don't think that they would have kept them together because you know the show hates happiness um Mm -hmm. and so like i really do think that they would end up breaking up anyways and so it's like of course his character would have needed to leave at some point i just feel like the way they did it was so disrespectful and it just didn't make sense to Oz. 
That's the thing that sucks. I think they were planning on killing Ozoff. Most likely he would have gotten shot when Tara got shot. I think um, it's just hard. Like Joss, even when Oz suggested, hey, or Oz, I keep calling him Oz, Seth suggested, hey, um, can I be a recurring cast character or a recurring character versus an actual cast member? Joss was like, no, if you're not going to, if you're not going to be here, then you were just writing you off completely. Like it just kind of felt vindictive in the way that the, at least the way that I read it doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it was. Um, it, and so then of course he came back for two more, um, episodes after that, which was, uh, new moon rising and then in restless, but it's just kind of, it's sad. It's really sad because you know, what's sad is that like, I, there's very few episodes on Buffy where like when it comes up, I'm like, it's, it's genuinely too like painful to watch. Mm -hmm. Like I could Mm -hmm. watch Joyce's death. And be like, wow, this sucks. It's really sad. But I can watch mm-hmm. it. But watching that episode, it mm-hmm. like not only does it just make me so sad, it makes me so mad because I'm like, it one, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it undermines, in my opinion, it undermines the beautiful relationship mm-hmm. that Oz and Willow had. Um, and just kind of diminishes it to like a high school romance. Like, it wasn't like that. It feels very much the writer's choice, not the character's choice. And I think it it feels very out of the show. Like, when I watch this episode, I'm like, do you guys not remember the sweetness and the love that Oz and Willow had? Like, I definitely, like, we're getting to another plot point. But, like, I, like, know that Willow loved and was in love Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people try to take that away. I'm like, okay, like, I understand the whole, like, if people struggle with their sexuality, they they date people to seem heterosexual and they want that life. But it didn't, yeah. like, it. that's not where they were going in the beginning. And yeah. you could see that she genuinely loved them. Yeah. And it's hard, too, because I think that during, like, the 90s and stuff, it was really hard. Like, I don't. I don't think I ever saw any depiction of someone who was bisexual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from like 90s movies or TV shows. Um, if there is any out there, I just haven't seen them, which is completely fair. Um, but at least I think that it was really hard because one, there wasn't many like gay characters at all depicted in media, but especially I think it was probably hard to portray someone as bisexual and not have them discredited as just experimental. Yeah. Or they they don't know which one they like or whatever. And especially since Willow's like sexuality starts coming into question more towards college when a lot of like, you know, experimenting does happen, mm-hmm. then I understand like why it was they didn't even bring up the idea of her being bisexual because it was like that's a whole conversation that people I don't think were ready for in the 90s with media um but I I I really see Willow's character as bisexual. Yeah, and I think most people read that now in our, you know, 21st century now that we're in the, you know, 2020s, people are like, okay, I see Willow having a very deep intimate relationship with both those people and i don't think we should discredit one just because the other one ended up later you know um yeah and it's hard because in my perfect world i would have had you know obviously i wouldn't have had tara die but you know if they had had tara (laughs) die then i would have said hey like can we bring oz back for the finale or something even if it was just as a friendship role but i think they just didn't even want to have that and have it to be questioned at all you know which I don't blame them for not wanting to do that because 
if they did do that, I think that especially when this came out, everyone would have just been like, oh, like Tara was an experiment. Like Tara was just kind of like, you know, a one-off type thing. So I understand why Kennedy was necessary. Why? Like, I understand why they did things. I just personally wish that Oz had a better ending Agreed. to the story. I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. need him to come back. I didn't need him to mm-hmm. like be there at the finale. Like all those things would have been wonderful and nice because I love Oz. I just needed him to have an an ending that was honoring to yeah. who he was as a I character. Think, and we just didn't yeah, get that. I, I totally agree. And I agree with you guys. A new moon rising, I seriously skip it every time. It's just too hard. And I think I'm not I'm not excited yeah, no, I'm for not. that episode when we have to dissect yeah. it. Like I can't even just like watch it. Like I have to dissect it <laughs> and talk about it again. Like and the thing is too is that it would have made sense if it was season six, Willow and Tara. Like, that's the relationship she was choosing over us because they were fully in love. They were adults. They were living mm. together. Season five, practically, Practically co-parenting. Yes, whenever their healthiest <laughs> was. Like, whenever their healthiest most in love version was, it would make sense if she was choosing that over Oz. But she mm-hmm. wasn't. She was choosing the possibility of a relationship with this girl that she doesn't really know very well yet. That's what makes me mad is the fact that like she she didn't really like I don't really think she loved Tara yeah. yet. And see the thing is, is that she might have but the it all came down crappy writing. The writers were I and mean, we talk about show versus tell. The writers were telling us that Willow was choosing Tara but we didn't see it yet. We were going, okay, I, you mm. just, like, we've barely seen this girl. There hadn't been an episode yet devoted to Tara. Well, yeah, they didn't even expose their relationship fully at right, that point. Right, exactly. So it was kind of like, for us as the viewers, we needed to see a little bit more in order for us to completely let go of Oz and grasp Tara. And so, unfortunately, for like viewers like me, it took me seasons to fully love and accept Tara on her own because I just kept seeing her mm. as the person who pushed out Oz, mm. even though that's not necessarily fair. Yeah. Which is so unfair it to is. Tara's yeah. character because yeah. Tara is a like amazing character so sweet so kind a good friend to mm-hmm. everyone in the group like mm-hmm. but i feel like she kind of lived under oz's shadow for like a, a season mm-hmm. in all honesty well, she was also incredibly underused too she had one centric mm-hmm. episode and that's it. yeah but yeah, i would I say i feel like Tara has a little bit better character growth than even Oz. I feel like Oz was consistent and stayed the same. Like we loved him the entire time, but there Mm -hmm. was nothing that really changed. Tara definitely Mm -hmm. grew and I saw her become more bold and confident. Confident. I mean, the the fact that she was, she loved Willow and she told her, I'm leaving. Like that takes tremendous strength. Mm -hmm. And then still like, was well, with and, Dawn. And stepped, yeah, sorry. And stepped in with yeah, Dawn. and with largely, Buffy. Largely, like, practically co-parented while Buffy was gone. Like, like Tara, I, I love Tara as a character. I think that she's really, really, really cool. I just, I feel like both Oz and Tara just kind of got screwed over a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, like, ugh. And I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to take this whole time to just talk about Oz's <laughs> ending because there's so much to talk about. Um, but it is just sad because, like, this is the first episode that we see of him becoming, a of like, a werewolf and stuff. And so it's like this kind of is what ends up having him leave is his werewolf side and yeah. stuff. All right. So let's talk a little bit about some spoilers uh, apart from, you know, everything we've already said. <laughs> so 
This is the first of only three Oz-centric episodes in the entire Buffyverse, which I wrote is a crying shame. But I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that there's really no character development for him, no story. Marty Noxon mm-hmm. has said that this episode is the first in a Willow slash Oz trilogy. So this is yep. the first one. I noted that. And too. then Wild at Heart is the next one, and New Moon Rising is the last. Which one's Wild it's at the Heart? The one where he leaves the, one the where first they break time. Up. Oh God, that's the worst. I know, ever. right? Right. Two, two out the of the three. One of them is, is good. him leaving. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, two out of the three of him, he's not even his ca- like his actual character. Yeah, yeah it sucks. Um, and I mean, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you know, Oz is not his actual name. His full name is Daniel Osborne, and they just call him Oz for short. That's such a cute like name, like or nickname, like yeah. Oz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it That's is really cute. cute. I uh, I clocked something. Um, let me pull pull it up in my notes. <laughs> Woo, fancy. Uh, I'm just, just like kidding. It's, yeah, yeah it's literally, <laughs> literally the the most unofficial notes ever. But it was literally just um, Buffy and I think Willow talking or Buffy and Xander. Sorry, um, and Willow mentions because Xander's talking about how it's not going to work between them and blah 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 blah. It's like the scene. Before oh, at the very end, the yeah. Ending. Mm-hmm. Xander, as usual, is projecting his fears onto their relationship and saying how Oz is going to leave. And Oz blah, blah, is going to cheat blah. on her. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And um, Buffy says, like, oh, no, I see Oz as the loyal type. Which, like... He is. He is. Because, again, yeah. he is. Oz 100% is the loyal type. He will always be loyal to, like, Willow. But the writers missed the mark. And they did not think he was the loyal type. So, and the thing is, is that he is like you see how devastated he is. Even when he like Oz wakes up next to Veruca, like, and he's a human, he mm-hmm. immediately is like, "What the heck?" And like, it's almost mm-hmm. like his werewolf side used his body without his permission. Because I think that Oz, if mm-hmm. he was in full like capacity, would have said no. Yeah, without a second's pause. So I don't know. It's hard. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the episode anymore. I don't like it. Um. <laughs> Uh, the moment where our Oz is looking at the statue and like I thought and, and Willow comes up to him, it just screams foreshadowing that Willow's going to become a witch. I think it's so clever. Like he's sitting there looking at the witch trapped within the statue and then Willow walks up. Um, and it's also a nice little nod to the fact that the very next episode we see Amy again in Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. Mm. And then, you know, she becomes the rat and all that stuff. I don't know. It's just like a clever little tie in. Um, also, when Oz tells Larry that Willow is an evil mastermind, I was like, holy cow, <laughs> dark Willow vibes. Self-aware. Yeah. yeah. Self-aware show. Well, yeah, ways. except for when it comes to Oz. Um, also, talk a lot about how Joss was leaning towards making Xander gay, and you really see it in this episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I thought about that. I was like, dang, like. Because I, 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 we talked about how um, Joss didn't know whether he wanted Willow gay or Xander gay. And so he kind of like left hints for both. But I think that's a lie. I think he really wanted yep, Xander to be the gay one. Because there is way more hints for Xander being gay yep. than Willow. I think that it just happened to work out that it made sense for Willow's character and that there is an opportunity when Oz mm-hmm. left. But I think that if there hadn't been, we would have, which I mean, I'm kind of glad that. It wasn't um, 
Xander, who is gay for many reasons, but like we would have never gotten Tara. We would have never gotten um, Anya. Anya. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just um, it's so interesting to me because it's like it, Xander would have been such a different character if he was gay. Yeah. And I think they were trying to do a similar thing that they were doing with Larry in the sense that, you know, Xander has a lot of internalized misogyny because he's secretly gay. Yeah. And so Joss mm-hmm. was fully fully leaning towards making Xander gay. And because we really don't see oh, much yeah. of a hint of Willow being gay until the wish really, or not with the wish, it's um, Doppelgangland when you have. Mm-hmm. I think either one of them would have worked. Oh yeah. But I think that they're more heavily leaning towards Xander. Um, it's also interesting that Xander doesn't trust Oz with Willow, whereas Oz trusts both of them in season three and both of them end up betraying him and Cordy. Like, it's just interesting mm-hmm. how Xander's the one projecting, like you guys said, but he's, you know, also the one that like completely steps out of bounds. I think doing this, like all these rewatches, I've noticed a lot more of the um, consistent buildup to the love triangle. Yeah with them in season three. Oh like, yeah like this is the first episode where i was like oh, okay like i mean to be fair i know they've been there i just haven't noticed them because don't i don't want to notice them <laughs> um i i don't hate it as much rewatching because i just rewatched the first couple of seasons with my mom and we just went past that storyline and as i was watching it it wasn't as long as i remember like it four being. episodes at most and and it's it's yeah. very much in the background unless it's Lover's Walk. And I love Lover's Walk. And they didn't fully focus on that part of their relationship. So I was like, okay, like it's a small doses, it's in the background, like it's not that long. It's fine. I understand why they did it. Do I like it? No, but whatever. Um, and I I think this is the first episode, and there probably has been some beforehand, but you see, and even they make a comment, I think I put in my notes. Um Oh, Cordy says he's so busy looking around at what he doesn't have that he doesn't appreciate what he Mm -hmm. does have. Mm. And that's like season three Xander to it. Yeah. Yep. Well, and this is the first time we've ever seen Xander talking about like Willow like this. Like he's he we've seen him when he's with Cordelia kind of mention Buffy or have that kind of care for Buffy and that interest in her life but we've never seen it with willow until the first episode that her and oz are finally getting established as a relationship not just as going out on dates but as a relationship is the first episode we're seeing xander start to talk about willow more in a protective like quote-unquote protective sometimes i forget that we're on a podcast and you guys can't see i'm doing (laughs) but like a protective quote-unquote um type of relationship where he's like oh well Oz is gonna do this Oz is gonna do that which is what he always does with uh Buffy because it's not because it's like oh I want to you know make sure they're okay it's because it's like oh I don't think the person they're with is good enough because they're not yeah yeah totally and yeah it's interesting to watch it all kind of unfold and honestly like I again I'm not a fan of Xander and Willow being together I don't think most anybody is or anybody like was by the time they got to the cheating storyline. I do yeah. see it as very important simply because I think if we hadn't have had that, I think even once we got to season six and season seven, and probably mostly season six, there would have always been that lingering what if. And now that like we know what they would have been like together, we kind of got a taste of it. Everyone was like, okay, that's out of our system. And it made the finale of season six, the yellow crayon speech so impactful because you got to see their mm-hmm. friendship blossom more mm-hmm. than their 
romantic feelings and yep. relationship. And I don't think I don't think I've ever heard anyone be like, mm, that scene kind of gives me like Yeah, sure. <laughs> like ever I think everyone is kind of on the same page where it's like, no, that was so platonic. That's the only reason yeah. it worked. Yeah. That the ending of that finale I think is so well earned with their relationship. Agreed. I think some things and I love everyone knows I love Buffy. We're doing a podcast, but it's like I love the show so much, but I think some moments don't feel as mm. earned as other ones. And I think that is one of those payoff moments that we've just been needing that just because the season six is such a um, divisive season with the Scoobies, especially, but also the fandom. So I feel like when you have a core friendship that's been kind of been really beaten the whole season, seeing them come together, but also seeing them from the beginning. They've been friends for years before mm -hmm. Buffy. Mm. And so out of anyone would have that, besides Buffy and Giles, I think I would have loved to have seen another scene like that other than just the first three seasons. But it's such an earned moment because Willow and Xander have such a core friendship and it's been going on for years. Mm -hmm. And so I think I love rewatching and seeing their relationship and how they choose each other in a lot of ways, but also a lot of it is very toxic in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of maturing, maturing and growing up is realizing that you can be friends with someone that just because you're close with them doesn't mean that there's a romantic relationship there. And I think Absolutely. it's so hard for especially opposite sex friends growing up because there's always this like, oh, we're close. That must mean I have a crush on you. And it's hard to like mm. untwist and untangle those relationship or those feelings and realize, oh, it's actually platonic. Like we can genuinely be close and care for each other and know that we would never work out romantically. And so I think it's mm. really, really refreshing. That's one of the things I love about Buffy is you have a lot of these platonic friendships that are just beautiful. You have Xander and Buffy towards the end of the series. You know, you have mm. a Willow and Xander, obviously. Um, and it just, it's, it's really beautiful to watch because that's real life. Like we aren't going to go and date every single mm -hmm. guy friend or girlfriend we have, you know? Um, so, and I feel like any other show would have turned it into like a romantic hexagon with everybody having yep. dated everyone at some point, you know? That's how like every drama filled show yep. is nowadays. Literally every single combination you can think of has happened. At well, least and that's once. why, you know, it's excellent writing because it doesn't need to thrive off of romantic relationships in like in a dramatic way to like fuel the show. Obviously that happens in Buffy, mm -hmm. but the the show is um fueled by its inner working platonic relationships as well. It's not just all everyone has yeah. to be, you know, and I jealous. Think if they do end up having something overlap a little bit, there's usually a reason for it and sometimes it doesn't last long, i.e. Xander and Willow and Spike and Anya, that one episode. But there was but a it, reason for that. Yeah, it's not just like for the uh, for the shock yes, value. Exactly. It's because it genuinely makes sense with their characters. Right. Goal is mm -hmm. to move the story forward because we want to discover what makes these characters tick. It's not to let's just keep viewers coming back simply for the drama, you know? But also, yeah. like, as Anya said in that episode, she's like, that wasn't vengeance, that was solace. Mm -hmm. And we saw that, too. It wasn't like, a, oh, let's just throw them together for an episode because they're horny and sad. It was like they were coping and they were hurting, you know? And horny and sad. I mean, I think it was because they were horny and sad. I'm not going to lie. All right. So let's talk about werewolves a little bit within the Buffyverse. So there are three werewolves that are primarily around is Veruca... Oz and 
Nina. And who? Nina. Who's Nina? <laughs> Angel's girlfriend. <laughs> Another blonde. Oh, the blonde. Shoot. You forgot about Another oh, I blonde. I forgot about her. Leah literally <laughs> can't remember any blonde on Angel. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I forgot. I don't know why Nina drives me nuts. I just think she's so annoying. Here's what doesn't make sense to me. I <laughs> she, No, I'm not gonna bash anyone. But it's just like sure. how could you, as a respecting young woman, enter into <laughs> enter into a relationship with someone you clearly really like, maybe even love, and know that they're not into you? Because because here's the thing, they're having continual sex and he not only is he not losing his soul, he is so confident that he will not lose his soul with her that he is allowing himself to continually have sex with her. And he like, and when she leaves town, she knows this. She's like, you're not going to come, are you? And he's like, no. Like, I did that. She doesn't make me mad or anything. I would have rathered him have that than like a super meaningful relationship with like Kate or someone, you know? But like. <laughs> Leah remembers Kate. Yeah, I remember Kate. Whoa. Golf but pack. like she just like i just don't understand how you could be like oh huh, yeah i'm gonna have sex with someone i really like i'm gonna devote all my time and energy knowing they don't care about me at all i think it's one of those things where she knows and so i think that she's aware that the relationship isn't gonna go anywhere so they're just both kind of writing it out until it dies which i mean yeah. you know it's fair it's but their choice yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Leah's like, don't agree, but okay. Anyway, okay. Um, and Nina is a different kind of werewolf. Um, in the Angel episode Unleashed, which is when we first see Nina, this uh, character, Jacob Crane, was going to give his guests a live. They call it Lycanthropus exteris. Um, it's supposed to be like the more extinct werewolf. So Nina is different from Oz and Veruca. She's a more, yeah, more, more extinct werewolf versus Oz and Veruca are more common. Is she like a werewolves. purebred werewolf? No, I think it's just like the difference um, between like where the werewolves originated from. I think Oz and Veruca are from. Oh, I don't remember. I think I think they said that Nina was like her kind was not as common in North America, um, and so that's why they were trying to remember they 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 kidnapped her and they were going to like sacrifice and have mm. her be eaten by a bunch of people, a bunch of demons. Um, yeah, and also it's just interesting because. In this episode, they talk about how werewolves don't have a conscience. Like, they're all animalistic. They're all this stuff. I think it's interesting that Nina and Oz, in their human form, they show that they're, they they very clearly have a conscience versus Veruca is different in that she shows that she has no conscience even in her human form. And she even says that she wants to – do whatever it is that she wants to do. Like it's better to give into her animal side as even a human and just kind of like who cares about the consequences. I think that's kind of like the whole point is like she, I mean, at least I get the vibes that she has like, she goes to um, support groups and, uh. then, and then they all are like, okay, this is what you have to do in order to become the beast that you want to be. And so she taps into her werewolf and is a lot more like non-human because you see her just not care about anything. Like, yeah. as a normal, I feel like human would. Maybe she's just supposed to be a twisted character. But you see her being like, oh, I can sense this part about my werewolf side. I can do this and not care. I can do that, you know? And so I think that 
at least I get the vibes that she's been really like practicing and tapping into that. So she's becoming less and less like a human. So yeah, she's like less divided. There's yeah. there's less of a um yeah, a divide between her werewolf and her human side. She's becoming kind of meshed. Yeah. Yeah. The actress who plays Veruca did a phenomenal job because Creepy. she creeps me out. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so the <laughs> so when Willow's all distraught about the bunnies, like she's yeah. like, Oh no, the bunnies. Mm-hmm. I was cracking up because it reminded me of the season five episode when they're in the RV and Willow's like, Don't hit the horses, and Puppy's like, Don't worry, we won't. And then she's like, Aim for the horses to Giles. <laughs> <laughs> Also bunnies too. I love that we have like these little things about bunnies coming in and then, you know, Anya comes in and it just becomes this like series long running gag. Also, okay, so fun fact, the actor who plays Kane, Jack Conley, also plays Sajan from Angel, the non-corporeal demon who saw the prophecy that Connor was going to kill him. And then he went back in time to get Holtz to come and kill Con- or come kidnap Connor. Do you guys remember like the really ugly looking demon guy who Connor ends up killing in season five? I don't remember what the ugly demon looked like. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Okay. Well, anyway, so yeah, it's the same, it's the same actor. He's just wearing a lot of makeup. So I guess that means nothing to you guys, but hopefully some of you are out there will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you guys need to rewatch Angel Man. No, I'm okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I noted like when Angelus is kind of baiting Teresa, he really likes to play with his victims and likes to make mm-hmm. them feel safe. And I was thinking specifically of Jenny because you notice that like Angelus, when he chases after Jenny, barely is running after her. And it's kind of to give her the semblance of, hey, you're safe. You've made it. He even like when she goes up the stairs, she thinks that she's like made it from him and then he suddenly is in front of her. And I think mm-hmm. I really think he lives for watching the hope die in his victim's mm. eyes. I think that's part of what makes the chase so thrilling to him. Oh, yeah. What would be the point of like playing with them if they don't care, you know? Yeah. It's just an extra – it's like an extra layer of evilness, the fact mm. that he even gives them hope. You know what I mean? Like it's not enough for them to be scared. They have to think that they're safe. It's just – it's so vindictive. David Boreanaz is one of those lucky actors that gets to play such dimensional, diverse – characters where you can play so many different facets of it like the character angel gets to do so many different things he gets to play like sad brooding angel he gets to play confident angel he gets to play angel pretending to be angelus he gets to play angelus pretending to be angel and then angelus and then you know there's just so many different ways and i'm like that would be an exhausting job but how fun would that be in the same show where you can play normal loving angel and then you get to like like try out being like vindictive and evil and like sadistic and that's just so fun yeah no he really had he had a fun role and i i think that kind of goes for every single character Mm -hmm. like every character got to kind of play different facets Mm -hmm. and different like even alter egos and stuff it's just it must have been such a fun show to be on fun and hard but very rewarding yeah emotionally exhausting Mm -hmm. i'm sure all right and we mentioned this before, but the look of the werewolf obviously changes throughout the seasons. Oh, looks like a wolf yeah. in this episode. Looks like a monkey, like a howler monkey in the later episodes. I don't even know what it starts to look like, but it just looks rotten. <laughs> it really does. It's pretty bad. I don't know why they changed the design. They wanted the actor to have more facial mobility because putting them inside the wolf costume in this episode, like, 
you see no facial expressions or anything. In the later seasons, when they change the look of the werewolf, they're actually able to put Seth Green in some of those prosthetics, which allows some of their shots to be more up close versus it's like, hey, I don't think that's Seth Green, you know? Mm. All right, let's talk about Larry for a minute. Larry Blaisdell. Um, he is one of the things that makes this show really fun and unique, right along with Jonathan, I think. He is a reoccurring character that just kind of pops up mm-hmm. and it makes the show, like it makes you feel like you're actually going to school with these characters when you see them because you're like, hey, I know this person. I know their backstory. It's really cool. I wish they did that more because we only have like pretty much those two other than Amy. But they come up like rat, like kind of very casually. And I wish that it was like they just like walked by them. We're like, oh, there's Larry. There's this person. And I wish there was more characters in Sunnydale that we would recognize rather than just popping up in one episode and they die. Well, I mean, um, we we have um, Harmony as well. And then you true. have um, that one guy. Well, I was about to say Percy in the third season. He is so underused. I love his character. He's in for like three episodes and he cracks me up. I honestly feel like compared to like pretty much every other show ever, they really focus more on background characters than like most other shows that center in high school. I love that um, Tucker's brother becomes a like gag <laughs> by the end. Yeah. No one remembers Andrew going to the school. He went to the school with them, but everyone remembers his brother. <laughs> Genius. Um, but Larry is really cool because we initially see him in Halloween and he's just a jerk and he's a jerk in this one until, you know, he comes out as gay. It's funny because in the next episode in Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, Amy hopes that he's he will ask her to the prom like he's mentioned in that one. He his appearances include Halloween phases and earshot and graduation day part 2. And I love that he I mean oh and he's also in um The Wish obviously. And I love that he is a vampire hunter in the mm-hmm. alternate dimension. Like it goes to show that he actually is deep down a really good guy. Um and is actually a very brave guy. And I I love that they yeah. included him in that. I wish they had given him more airtime. Like we don't get enough of Larry. Like obviously this episode and the one beforehand are not great episodes to show that, but he comes a very sweet character. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I'm very sad that they killed him off in Becoming Part 2. I think they had to show the gravity of the fight mm-hmm. to kill off some people. But I was like, oh, like, that sucks. Yeah, I, I know. Him him and Harmony dying, I think, were really impactful. But like you said, like you have to show some people dying or else you lose the gravity of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. But it is sad that Larry meets his demise from the mayor. All right. So one of the last things I wanted to talk about was how – all right. So let's let's talk about that controversial moment that we had where it looks like Xander and Buffy are going to kiss. So Why we talked a little bit. Why did we talk about this? I thought we were done. <laughs> um, well, so it seems like, especially heavily in this – this season and in season one, that Buffy and Xander are endgame. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like they're heading towards that. Like, oh, once Angel's God, out of the picture. No. I didn't even notice that until we started doing the podcast. I was like, uh, like, there's some scenes in season one. I was like, oh, I don't remember this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, because initially, Angel was supposed to die at the end of the season, and then that was it. Like, he wasn't going to come back. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if they were planning on going somewhere with Xander um, next. And, uh, Apparently, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Nicholas Brendan both thought that that was going to be the case as well. 
they thought that Buffy and Xander were going to get together at some point. And so, you know, come to season seven, both Buffy and Xander are technically single. And James Marsters hadn't renewed his contract yet for season seven of Buffy. And so Sarah and Nicholas didn't know what was happening. And so they went to Joss Whedon's office and they were like, hey, um, are Xander and Buffy going to get no, together this season? Oh, God, no. I and think that just Sarah wanted anyone other than Spike as like a Buffy love interest. Oh, so 100%. Was, like, so she was like, Xander, uh, we're going to be together, yeah. right? They, they've always had chemistry for sure. I can see it. <laughs> she's like, we really can work. <laughs> she's like, pulling I, it out I, of her butt. <laughs> she's like, could we bring Oz back? I always thought that, uh, you know, her. <laughs> Yeah, the two scenes they were together throughout the entirety of three episodes. Percy had a few scenes, but she's like, uh, uh, Larry could always uh, come back as a vampire. (laughs) Bring Jonathan back from the dead. (laughs) I guess he wasn't dead at that point, but yeah. No, I mean, who knows? But it wasn't, I think it wasn't necessarily that they were shipping them together. From what I've read, it was mostly they were like, hey, we need to know if this is going somewhere because we need to like actually prepare and stuff. And Joss... His response was, no, Buffy wants what she can't have. And so I think he was trying to say that she knows she can have Xander. (laughs) And that's that's why he's not attractive to her. And I was like, very self-aware. Buffy does like to be tortured in a relationship. I forget who says (laughs) that. Maybe it's Spike. Now that I'm saying that. It feels like it's a very awkward scene that he says it in. Um, (laughs) But I think he kind of uses it against her. But I think that it is true in a way just because I feel like she doesn't – she feels like she doesn't deserve and or won't love the relationship if it's easy and normal. Quite possibly. I think that's also kind of a nod to Angel. I agree. She wants Angel and she can't Mm -hmm. have him. I think that was his response. And I think (laughs) – Sander would have been a huge downgrade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From, I think I – mean, the, you. I mean, the viewers don't know this, but I think Sarah and Tabby will know. I think I'd prefer Riley over Xander dating, <laughs> like, Buffy. Could you imagine the last uh, episode they have Riley come back and, you, and he has that whole speech about the cookie dough? He's like, I'll be waiting for you. Roll it. Get uh, off no, our screen. Uh, no Get off our screen, Riley. You're Riley. married. Yeah. No one wants <laughs> your cookie dough. Or like they, they have like a whole scene where it's like, oh, maybe Buffy will end up with either Spike, Angel, or Riley. And then it's like Riley comes back and everyone's like, why does he get a scene? We clearly know you guys are not going to end up together. Yeah, he's married. He's he's off off the menu. Even if he wasn't, who would care? They could have killed her off. They could have had them divorce. You never know. I liked his wife. I thought she was actually pretty yeah. cool. I mean, yeah, way better than him. Anyway, okay, so before we get into the what would Dawn do section, um, I actually got a question or a couple of questions from a viewer. This is from Leia, and she said, Leia, Mm -hmm. not Leah, Leia. Um, So she was saying, hey, guys, I'm currently listening to Thursday's episode. So this is the episode that came out. Oh, yeah, it's the spoiler section for Innocence and Surprise. And she says, I wanted to message because I had a thought that I wanted to get your opinions on. Do you guys think that Buffy can ever realistically have a normal life? Like, do you think that in order for her and Angel, for example, to get their happy ending, that Angel needs to be human or that Buffy needs to not be actively slaying? 
Or do you think that a normal life is just not something that she can ever realistically have? I truly think that by the end of the series run, Buffy can never realistically have a normal, in quotes, life. And I don't think that Angel turning human and them riding off into the sunset would work either. I feel like Buffy can never escape her fate as a slayer. And like she says in Helpless, I know what goes bump in the night. And she has created so many demonic enemies over the years that I don't think she can just pack up her stakes and live up happily ever after in a cute house with two 2.5 kids. I also don't think that human angel would fix all their problems. Buffy needs an equal as a partner, someone who shares in her lifestyle, and that includes physical strength and the weight of the mission. An angel is her equal when he's a vampire. I think they would still be equals as humans, but Buffy is no ordinary human. What do you guys think? I think that that's a like a really, really good question and a valid, you know, observation. I think that if the show did not end the way that it did, I don't think that she could. I think that the ending has a huge, huge part in it. And I don't think that Buffy would just go to like a normal nine to five. I I personally, the way that I view the show is that Buffy would end up doing something along the lines of like angel investigations, where she becomes like a detective in a way. That way she can work on her own terms. She's still helping people, but she can take a break whenever she wants. Um, and, and I think that in all honesty, like, I think that it's kind of like, um, the same as like, uh, people who serve in wars or, um, have like really, really rough terms and everything. And then they come back and have, unfortunately, like severe PTSD and it takes them a long time to kind of adjust to normal life again. I think that it would be something along the lines of, along the lines of that is like Buffy spent years practically in a war zone, you know, on a hellmouth, fighting for her life every day, fighting for people. And so of course it, there would be an adjustment period and there would be a time where she would need to, you know, learn to be quote unquote normal. But I really do think that's why I like the ending cuz I know a lot of people wished the show had ended at season 5. But that's why I like the ending at season seven, because I think that it does allow for Buffy to be able to have a normal life. And I mean, in my Mm. perfect world, too, I really do think that um, Angel becomes human. And I do think that they're able to learn to get to a normal place. I think the beauty of Buffy's and Angel's relationship is they understand each other, whether or not that they are both in the same place, hence him being like uh, a vampire or her being a vampire slayer. I think that they connect because of their past experiences. So if they both became human, they could still understand each other based off of who they have become um, and what led them there. And I think that like, I view her kind of going through her mourning process, not mourning, but like healing process after like becoming like the one and only slayer. I view it as kind of like a slow burn. So I think that she could have a more normal secluded life 20 years in the future, but I think it would take a while for her to get there. I think it would be like kind of like what Leah said, where she'd have to slow down her fight. But I think when her body isn't as you know, young and agile, I think that she'd still have to do a lot of those things when she's younger, not as much, but I think she can pick and choose because like Leah said, she knows what goes bump in the night. Um, But then when you get older and you start realizing that it's not up to you and the younger slayers kind of pick up speed, I think then she'd be able to kind of 
slow down, have a normal life, and her and Angel could align. Like he said, I'm not getting any younger. So I, in my head canon, he becomes human. And then they both kind of are on the same healing process together. They slow down a bit. Because I think the same thing with Angel. I don't think that he could go like completely 100 or 0 too. Yeah, well, let's look at I Will Remember You. It's a prime example. Mm-hmm. You know, Angel becomes human. And then, you know, him being human puts Buffy in danger, but he also struggles with the fact that he, like, can't do what he used to be able to do. And so I think that – but but he's still human and he still has that desire. So it's, like, just because your your role has changed doesn't mean your desires change necessarily. Um, I think that we also have to define what we mean by normal life because – Buffy's never going to have a normal life in the sense of anybody else, but neither is Willow. And Willow doesn't necessarily have a calling. Neither is Xander. Neither is Giles. You know, because they all are so completely entwined with Mm. the, you know, the whole bump in the night stuff. Like they know what's going on. There's, There's no way their lives will ever go back to normal. But on top of that, what is the number one reason why their lives aren't normal? They live on a hellmouth. And so the whole point of the hellmouth imploding and no longer being a thing, um, like Sunnydale like completely co- going in on itself, is that Buffy's responsibility is done there. And anywhere else that she moves, unless she goes to the one in Cleveland, um, is going to be significantly easier because they don't have, you know, the weird things that happen over the yeah. hellmouth. So I think yeah. Buffy's life will get exponentially more normal after she leaves the hellmouth, um, but it will never be like fully normal. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think it's supposed to be. You see her trying to have a normal life, and the hellmouth is what detracts her, especially in the first few seasons. Like she's like, oh, I'm going to go to prom, I'm going to do homecoming, I'm going to do things that I want to do. And it's like Giles and the hellmouth that's bringing her back to reality. Like Buffy has always wanted that, but it's, I feel like since she's thrown into it, she has grown a passion for it and realizes what she needs to do. But if she had the choice, she would choose Angel in the two and a half. Yeah, I I also just view it as um Buffy as she gets older moves less so from the Slayer role and more into like a yeah, Watcher absolutely. role, um and just kind of like trains the um Slayers and kind of sends them out to the world and it just kind of becomes someone of wisdom and knowledge and you know when people need help or you know advice who are you gonna go to but the OG Slayer who's practically done it all. Well, I think she's going to slay, but I think she's not going to do like the whole patrolling thing. Yeah. And that's the whole point is that the the whole point of season seven finale chosen is Buffy now has the choice. You know, she can choose a more normal life now if she wants to. She isn't forced and cookie cuttered into I have to be the only slayer. And the fact that there are now hundreds and hundreds of slayers alleviates her burden a whole a whole bunch. And like – me saying that she's going to have a more normal life and be with Angel doesn't mean that she gives up slaying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that she's going to do both. I think she'll still slay, but she can also take a break now. And she doesn't have the burden of, if I stop, man, all these deaths are on me. No, because there's still other people that can pick up that slack, you know? I think that's a good point, too. Like, she's not going to go out patrolling every night looking for it. But I think that if her and Angel go on, like, a date night, and then there's, like, people who are cornering a helpless woman, they're going to go and like kill them, you know, like if if they come across it, they'll have no problem doing it, but they're not going to go out searching for it. Yeah. There's a lot of layers there, I think. 
Um, I'm curious what all of you listeners have to say about this, like whether you guys think that Buffy can ever have a semi-normal life. I'm curious what you guys think of as the definition of normal, um, because I think we all can agree that Buffy's not just going to be like, well, all right, I'm done slaying. I've created a bunch of other ones. I think that's unrealistic because, I mean, you know, the Watchers Council was completely blown up. The Slayers, like you have a ton of potentials that are called that need to actually be trained. Um, I think her job is not done, but I think the burden has been alleviated of being the only person who can understand what she's going through. And the like the power is being shared now, but not just the power. That's the beauty of it. The burden is being shared as well. Um, so anyway, that ends my TED talk. Well, I think that wraps up phases. Next week is Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, which I am actually kind of looking forward to talking about because I have not seen that episode in a while. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Hopefully you guys learned some things. Hopefully you enjoyed um, our ramblings. Please definitely chime in. Let us know what you guys think about all the above. We look forward to hearing from you guys every week. And with that, we will see you guys next week.